Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by the spectators Katie Balls and former Labour advisor John McTernan. Now, Katie, there's a big row today going on, um, story in the eye about uh, private schools and Labour's position on this. Talk us through the story. Yes, this goes back to Labour's pledge on private schools, which has been around for over a year, led by Bridget Phillipson, backed by Keir Starmer. And what they previously said they would do is to end the VAT tax exemption on private schools, but also end charitable status. Now... They have changed their position, first reported by the I and then confirmed by Labour. Though I think where you get into semantics is, is it a U-turn? Is it a change? Is it an evolution? Mm. Is it even a policy shift? Um, depending on who you speak to. But effectively, they're sticking with the VAT, ending the VAT exemption, but they will no longer make it so they're ending charitable status for private schools. Now, what does this actually mean for the policy? Well, in terms of bringing money in, you know, you still have that aspect. Um, but I think the reason that you no longer have the child with status was when they began to look into it further, it becomes quite complicated. So you need legislation. It could have big implications for the wider charity sector, potentially. And I also think there's an issue, which is charitable status in private schools is something which therefore leads to, you know, bursaries, lots of schemes, and therefore to end the status uh, full stop, I think it could have had unintended circumstances there in terms of social mobility. And I think the the final thing I think there is if you look at uh, what, you know, ending charitable status would do, I think there is a feeling that there'd be some smaller private schools that perhaps that could be the death now. Whereas I think just sticking with the VAT is a seen as simpler and probably, you know, less damaging in some ways in terms of unintended consequences. I think it's interesting that obviously this comes around the time that Keir Starmer has given an interview today to Nick Robinson's political thinking mm. on the podcast in which he, you know, he's very much, you know, I'm not anti-private school. I've never been out to get them. And I think it's fair to say that Keir Starmer has always been more reluctant than some in his parties, you know, anything that could be seen through the class war no prism. However, if we think back to last November, I was trying to remember when the PMQs was, so, and it was last November that Keir Starmer went to battle with Rishi Sunak on private schools. And in that, he enlisted, uh, I remember talking about it, with James Forsyth back when he was on this podcast, the memories. Uh, he listed, you know, all the various nice amenities Winchester had, you know, rifle range, fancy library and so forth. And I think the rhetoric then which was, you know, you had Rishi Sunak replying saying, he is anti-people like my parents who want the best for their mm. children. does feel like it's really shifted to a much softer place today. John, what's your thoughts on all of this? Um, look, I think it was a crazy idea to even entertain the notion that you would end charitable status for private schools. And that's because, you know, education has been a charitable objective since the time of the Tudors. Um, so you wouldn't simply be having to pass legislation like Katie was saying. You'd actually have to be ripping up a basic plank of British charitable law. And it would be the moment when it was revealed that what you were trying to pursue was class warfare, not some kind of equitability. I think that's, I think that's important. I'm glad, they've, I'm glad they've dumped it because you know, nurseries 
charge for nursery education and they also have charitable status. So you really don't want to enter that 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 arena at all. The other thing which I think is, is really important is that you can you can, as Katie said, again, you can say, is it a U-turn? Is it an adjustment? Is it a facing up to reality? What you can really start to see is the one thing that Labour will not back off at all is any proposed changes to taxation which have already been hypothecated to spend on something. So this money, uh, the VAT on school fees, has been committed to hiring new teachers and teaching assistants. And that's those things which Labour has announced where a tax will be brought in and a new bit of public spending will, will, will be funded by it. Those are actually untouchable, inviolable. And that's the thing I think some of the country is missing, that the, the Labour have got some commitments to which they are absolutely welded. So you think part of the story, John, here is that not just about, say, Keir Starmer backing away from anything that might be seen as anti-aspiration, class warfare, but also about the kind of fiscal discipline that Rachel Reeves has imposed on the party since being appointed shadow chancellor. Look, part, part, part of the story is, see, I'll say to um, uh, to people, Keir Starmer doesn't really narrate what he's doing. He's not a spinner. He doesn't have a team of spinners around him. He's got talking to journalists all the time. He just acts. He says something, then they do it. And this is the thing with Rachel. They say it and they do it. They're going to do the Green Industrial Fund. Why? Because they said they're going to do it. And it will be $28 billion by the middle of the parliament, and it will be $28 billion every year. And people focus far too much on the optics and not enough on the substance. I think that will become clear at conference that actually Labour wants to talk about the substance. I think there were some Tory hopes, Katie, that uh, maybe private schools and the notion of aspiration could have been perhaps a dividing line with Labour on this. As we go into that conference season, uh, we've seen a couple of weeks ago the net zero announcement, uh, Suella Braverman's trying, trying to make migration an issue. What are the kind of you know, clear blue water attempts we're going to see on, on both sides as we head into that conference season? I mean, Labour's policy is still different to the Tories on private schools. Mm. So they, they've got rid of one aspect, which, as John says, was one which I think clearly divided some of in Labour and just as it divided some of in Labour there are some today who are not happy that this has been rode back on um, you know I think because there's already the optics and I will talk about optics and not substance for a bit I hope John will forgive me um, but because um, there's been the optics effectively of Keir Starmer Moving more to the centre, actually, and becoming more cautious, I think, is how it's seen by some of this party. So this, this, you know, the complaint you hear, you hear it a lot less because the polls are where they are. But say, you know, the polls were to, you know, narrow slightly, the complaint that you would hear more loudly is the one we heard before Liz Truss, which is, you know, Keir Starmer needs to be bold. Not last year's Labour conference, but the one before that. It was when you had Angela Rayner, Andy Burnham walking around talking about primary colours and, you know, speaking in primary colours. And it felt like quite the... It was very much, you know, a dig at Keir Starmer for being, you know, a bit too meek and not in the right place. And therefore, I think the fact that they have moved, you think about the benefit cap policy and things like that, you know, in a way where they're probably moving away from where lots of the party is, means that something like charitable status, which I think you can argue is a sensible measure for all the reasons we just explained in terms of not going ahead with it, is is almost seen as, oh, here's another example. Like, he doesn't actually want to, you know, be having, he will do anything just to get to power. Um, while Keir Starmer is, you know, 15 to 20, five points ahead in the polls I think he can survive that criticism but I think the point is if, if you do enter a more competitive environment that that's what you hear as for the dividing lines I think to John's point about Rachel Reeves one thing we're going to hear about conference is more you know 
it's going to be less about, you know, new taxes on people and more about what we're hearing already a bit, you know, kind of where they think they can close down more loopholes, mm. where there, you know, these savings to be had and suggest that this is how, you know, Labour government will fund some things. I think the clear dividing line is net zero. But yet, how does Keir Starmer want to pitch it? They just want to make it about, you know, the Tories being anti-growth rather than getting into what I imagine would be slightly different messaging if Ed Miliband was still leader, where it'd be more about, you know, save the planet. Um, the fact that Ed Miliband is still in that role <laughs> does, you know, does mean you still you still do get some of that. But I think it's going to be a very disciplined Labour conference. And I think a lot of it is just um, where Labour probably, because we keep talking about, you know, how, where Rishi Sunak wants his dividing lines. I think if you look at it from the other perspective, which is where do Labour want their dividing lines to be? I think they want to be the party of business and they want to say the Tories have abandoned that. I think we'll get more on that at Labour conference. You know, reports from Guido Fork saying Richard Walker, the Iceland um, figure who had been planned to go as a Tory candidate, could say he wants to be a Labour candidate. Now, if I wanted to be a candidate and I mainly cared about getting into Parliament, at this point I might choose to be a Labour candidate, mm. <laughs> looking at the polls. But I think anything, if there are the business links there that you can use to show that, could we also see some new donors to the Labour Party? I think that's another way they might try and show these things. If you think about some of the switches they've had already from Tories to Labour, I think net zero Yes, Rishi Sunak has his own motives there, while he might say it's not political. But the fact that you have had over the weekend, you know, a really big Tory donor coming out saying, if they press ahead with this, I will not give money again to the Tories and I won't really out giving it to Labour. I think all these things come together and that'd be one of the things they're really trying to do at this conference, which is that almost that business divide. Now, the Tories can have some fun with that too. If you think about the Alison Rose NetWest row, I think the Tories are quite happy to say, oh, Labour's, you know, kowtowing to business and therefore, you know, they're not backing or they're not seeing sense in this row. But I think that is a Labour dividing line they want to have. I don't know what John thinks. So look, I... I agree with a lot of what um, Katie said, as there was a really, really cool-headed analysis of where where things are. I think it's absolutely clear the Conservative Party would like Net Zero to be um, a dividing line at the next election. I also think it's absolutely clear that that is a historic error by the Conservative Party, because the polling, Luke Trill's polling for Morton Collins shows that red wall voters are even more anxious than blue wall voters to see actual climate. And I think that's because red wall voters of the older generation are more like grandchildren than middle-class people who live in London and home counties. And I think uh, having a grandchild is a stake in the future. And I think that there's a, there's a very big psychological difference about the politics of, of getting to net zero if you have a, a substantial stake in the, in the future like a grand, grandchildren, and if not. But I also think um, that the some of the talk about the reshuffle, labor reshuffle, um, it needs to focus a bit more on the, on, uh, the, dog, that, the dog that didn't bark. Um, Ed Miliband being kept in his central role uh, in the shadow cabinet is a sign both of the importance of the issue and the importance of him as a politician and his relationship, his close relationship with Rachel Reeves and the way in which actually their language echoes each other about the the green industrial uh, strategy and their language echoes that of, 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 of uh, President Biden. And there's, I think, uh, a space where Labour can occupy, which is all parties have to trim to get to the centre. They have to take away issues that might be difficult, like if we want the money for VAT on private schools, take it. Don't take the fight on charitable status. That's just a mess. VAT is a clean, a clean tax. You get the revenue, you can spend it. And you have to, but at the same time, 
if you spend all your time taking the barnacles off the boat, as, as we say in the political business, it looks as though you're not standing for anything. And I think the, the net, net zero position gives Labour an opportunity to stand for something that can unite older voters in the Red Wall and younger voters in cities. And that's a huge potential campaigning opportunity. And because one of the things which we have to have in politics on the progressive side, on the centre-left side, is a sense of the future will be better, an optimism, a sense that, yeah, it will be rugged to get to a better future, but there's a better future to get to. And you can sort of see in the way that number 10 are, are, are aligning themselves, they sort of want to say, I know it's tough, I know it's pretty bad, but you know what? It's going to be bad because it can't be better. And that sent, there's a battle between optimism and miserableism. And Labour have to own optimism and really push hard on that. And so they've not got to be technocratic at this, uh, this forthcoming article. They've got to be inspirational. They've got to have the, the consumer offer. They've got to have the positive this is this is what this means for you, for your family. And if you talk too much about improving the nation, talk about the country too much, individuals just go, what, what's in it for me? And it's not wrong for a voter to go, what's in it for me? So it's meshing those things together, having a dividing line, seizing it, having an optimism about the future, having a plan for the future, and also really having the offer that you're making direct to voters. Thank you, John. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots. <laughs>